We're going to begin today with an arriving meditation. So if you will, sit in a way that you can best check in with your experience. Really, meditation is all about arriving in the present moment. So why wait to explore that? Sense what it's like for you right now to just begin to settle in. Let your intention be to take stock, in a sense, not evaluating. But notice what it's like to be sitting in a sitting posture, holding relatively still. What mood you are aware of, if there's a mood or emotion that's predominant, if there's sleepiness, if there's restlessness, if your mind is busy or not. What of the day that you've brought in with you? So that your senses are awake, noticing the sounds that might be in this room and these words. Finding the breath, if you can, just sensing the rhythm of the breath without controlling it, just noticing the breath. Our practice is to arrive again and again, because the given is we leave. We're all over the place. So it's gentle yet intentional. The sacred pause, just stopping the doings and checking in. If you'd like, you can open your eyes and uh, be engaged in this room and listening for a bit. Um, first, to welcome you. This is our second of four weeks of an introduction to mindfulness meditation. And um, I love doing these intros because, and I'm doing also a kind of a parallel intro over at River Road on Tuesdays, because it does, there's nothing else to learn about I mean, if you're just learning these foundations of mindfulness with the body and today with emotions and then we keep expanding the terrain, uh, there's nothing else. Because it's really learning how to belong to these lives in their entirety. So the sequence of the introduction is kind of the same sequence that the Buddha taught meditation 2,500 years ago. He started with embodiment and said, you know, all of life happens in this fathom-long body, you know? So come back. And the given is that we're off a lot. So that's the starting place, as we take stock by sitting back down in these bodies, sort of noticing the stories going on, and coming back to an embodied awareness. So last week, um, let me just ask you, who's, is there anyone here for the first time? <laughs> okay, welcome. Um, It'll, some, a lot of what I say this week will refer back, and it's fine. You can just um, pay attention to what you notice right now. Last week, the uh, practice began with simply noticing the breath. And you can do that right now. Just feel the breath. And for some, it's predominant the nose, the inflow, outflow at the nose. And some, it's the rising, falling sensation in the chest or the abdomen. It doesn't have to be the breath. 
that we concentrate on. It's one useful anchor place to come back. Uh, many different traditions use it, so I encourage you to experiment with that for now and then see what works for you. So we start with the breath. And you might just close your eyes and again feel the breath and sense the breath in two ways. One, it's a place to come home to. Every time you find the mind drifting and you remember enough to go, oh yeah, I'm off in thought, this is a place you can come back to. And it becomes a very precious pathway home to just relax back and rest in the breath again. The breath is also a place to train our attention so we actually perceive what's going on. We're not only resting in the breath, notice the breath. What's it feel like? Can you sense sensations, for some a swirling feeling, perhaps cool or heat? a pause between breaths. This is mindfulness, this noticing what's happening. So as we go through this class, I'd like to encourage you, every time you notice you've been lost, to see if you can start sensing the refuge in the breath coming back and and just rediscovering that connection. We need to spend a good deal of time at the beginning of awareness training with this concentration, with this coming back, because our conditioning is to not be in this moment. So it takes a lot of training to come back a lot. And it's been described as like training a puppy, and I mentioned this last week, that our attitude, if it's to be really a healing attitude, is consistent but incredibly friendly. So the other thing for today, in addition to coming back to the breath, is what's called unconditional friendliness towards whatever arises. And it's idealistic to assume that'll happen, but it can be an intention. And it's an amazingly beautiful intention. If nothing else came out of coming here for four weeks, but a little more inclination to be friendly to your own experience, I would I would bow to that very much. I think it's the main thing we all need. So we start in this practice with developing an awareness and a friendliness towards the body and towards the sensations in the body. And then we extend to include every other realm that we're aware of. Now one portion of experience that is both entangling and enlivening that every one of us lives in is waves of emotion. So today we'll explore how do you bring mindfulness and presence? How do you stay awake and friendly in the middle of intense emotions? That's that's for today and then next week we'll go on to. (laughs) We'll see. I found meditation in my life to be a kind of uh, spiritual reparenting If you ask yourself the question, what is it as a child you most needed from your parents? You know, what was most important? What do you you recognize? What do you most need as a child? Anybody, just throw out words. Love. Love. Support. Nurturing. Nurturing. Security. Security. Acceptance. Acceptance. 
these are the qualities that we're training and cultivating in relating to our own being. For me, they kind of settle into two main areas. And one is love, that to really feel absolutely loved. And the other is to be seen, to be understood. My sense is that we can't really feel loved if we don't feel that we're understood. Then it's kind of an emotional, uh, it's got an emotional sentimentality without the depth. We need to be seen and loved. Now, the Buddha taught that if we are living on this earth and experiencing ourselves as separate, if we feel like we're a separate entity, and in a sense separate means incomplete, in conflict often with other separate objects and beings, vulnerable, we spend our life, if we're feeling separate, in some way at war, because we're always trying to get more completed or defend ourselves against what makes us vulnerable. So the Buddha described this sense of separate self as really at the core of what creates suffering. And his life message was that it's absolutely universal that we suffer, and it also is optional. In other words, it happens, and we can have some choice around suffering. And the emotional realm is where I think we find the most possibility of choice. Wanting and fearing. For a moment, reflect. When did you feel intensity in the last few days? When in your personal dramas, with yourself, with your children, with your family, did you feel intensity? And just see if you can come up with a situation that in some way grabbed you. So each of you is being invited to check out a situation. You can listen to the sound of the chairs at the same time. And that's being inclusive in mindfulness. A situation in the last few days that was intense, that in some way grabbed you, that you got involved with. And ask yourself, what is it that you either wanted or feared in that situation? In both Buddhist and Western psychology, when we drop in deeply to our experience, we can find our emotions are all in some way expressing wanting or fear. A wanting for something or a fear we won't get what we want usually. So grief, what is that? It's a loss of what we want. Anger or hate an obstacle to what we want. Envy, somebody else has what we want. Basic to all emotions is a sense that something is wrong with how it is right now. And frequently, it's something's wrong with me. I remember that um, the very first week-long retreat I went to was a, up at uh, Insight Meditation Society in Barrie. And these retreats are 
usually nine days and they're on silence and you're sitting and walking and sitting and walking and there's plenty of time to face what has not been faced. And what I realized was I was, you know, lots of pain, lots of suffering. And around the third or fourth day of that retreat, the talk was on the Four Noble Truths. Now, some of you might know that the first of the Four Noble Truths is that suffering is universal. And the night that I listened to that, and it's not like I had never heard that before, I realized how personally I was taking my suffering. Like, the fact that life was hard was some personal failure, that I wasn't dealing with it right, and I was waiting to figure out something or heal something, so around the corner there wouldn't be suffering. And there was this wave of relief that it wasn't so much my deficiency that I was suffering, that this is just how it is. There's also beauty and enjoyment and love, but that suffering, that if we're born in bodies, we're going to have some suffering because these bodies age, they get sick, they die, we lose everybody that we love, on a physical plane at least. There's loss, there's suffering. It was a relief. Somebody said this quote that, be kind, everyone you see is struggling hard. And it really hit home that if we're in our own personal bubble and we think, you know, my life's intense, we forget that everybody that's in a body is struggling with the same elements, the same conditions. So Ram Dass has this saying, that the <clears throat> next lesson you need is right where you are. And this is the same basic message of the Buddha, that it's a given that these emotions, these wants, these fears arise. That's a given. And it's also the ground of our waking up if we can begin to learn to relate with wisdom and compassion, to see what's happening, and to hold with kindness what's happening. The Tibetans have this wonderful part of their art where at the entrance to any sacred space, whether it's in a mandala or the sacred space in a temple, there's these animal-headed deities and they're ferocious. They're either wrathful or passionate, but they're really intense. And, you know, the rest of the body is a deity. I keep thinking I'm going to drop this. But the spaces convey all the emotion in the universe. And the message is that it is the path of each of us to move through these energies, not to bypass them, not to battle them, not to reject them, ignore them, deny them. In fact, our entrance to sacred presence is through being with, through being with in a wholehearted, present way, these intense energies that come up. And yet our conditioning, when it happens, it's a nice idea, you know, that all this intensity that we experience, including the rage, including the jealousy, including everything, are in some way expressions of life that are part of us growing, becoming free. It's a great idea, and yet when we're in the middle of it, we think something's wrong. Isn't it true? When we're caught in the midst of this stuff, there's some sense that something's wrong, and either we blame the people in our life, or we blame ourselves. but there's something wrong. 
So part of training in Vipassana is reducing the lag time. These intensities, these emotions arise, and more and more quickly there's a sense of, oh yeah, okay, this is a universal energy, and the optional part, the choice here, is to pay attention with kindness versus being lost in it. The Buddha said there's no freedom until we can recognize and face wisely the suffering, the intensity of wanting and fearing. And yet as a society, we do everything we can to avoid uh, the not beautiful. That's what Clarissa Estes describes it as, the not beautiful. I mean, look at our commercials and our movies. Mostly everything features these gorgeous, you know, 19-year-old faces and bodies. And we have beltways around our cities so that you don't have to go through the ghettos. And we put old people in old age homes. And we paint up, you know, when, when somebody becomes a corpse, we paint them up so they look like they're on their way to a party or something, right? I mean, it's, it's not honoring the natural changes, not honoring what's difficult, what doesn't look so beautiful to our cultural perspective. A couple of years ago, or must have been longer now, it's after Desert Storm, I was coming back from Spirit Rock Center, it's another meditation center, and the person sitting next to me, a woman, was describing how her son had um, been involved with Desert Storm, and she said, I'm so relieved that there were so few casualties. And I remember this kind of sense of, my gosh, you know, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. You know, it's not, I mean, American casualties is what she was saying. But our minds are trained to not identify with where there's pain and suffering unless we can't help it. We don't include in our mind. Um, It's very hard to get it how much pain is out there and in here. It's both. Alan Watts says, it's like we're winding our watch on the way to the gallows, you know, that, that there's all this stuff going on inside us and around us, and we don't pay attention. We, we look away. So the first step is just to face the truth of, ouch, it hurts. This earth is hurting. These bodies are going through stuff. We feel insecure. Um, for me, one of the m- most clear expressions is, a sense of severed belonging, that we so often don't feel that we belong either to this moment, to these bodies, to each other. That's another way of saying separateness, but it's been a useful one for me. A friend of mine who comes to meditation classes was describing how she, and it's quite beautiful, she's describing how Early on, when we started the classes, she would um, have this role of setting up the candles and the flowers and so on. And so she'd come in and felt because of her role that she kind of belonged. She was a part of IMCW and she belonged in the meditation group. And she said she felt very secure and at ease. And then she handed over her job. You know, she said, okay, I've done, done this long enough. And the next few weeks that she came, she realized that without her role of, of serving and creating the space and the beauty, she didn't feel that much of a sense of belonging, and she got in touch with all this insecurity. And we were talking about this, actually, today, 
how much we design our lives to make ourselves feel comfortable. We take roles as helpers or this type of person or that type of person to feel good about ourselves. Part of it's genuinely we love to be there with each other. But there's so much of our activity that is to compensate for a feeling of not good enough. Something's wrong with me. We're always trying to catch up. It's as if, and it's true, we've each been given standards to meet. If not by parents that are a lot like that, by a culture and a society. Standards that it's impossible to meet them all. Nor would we want to even if we really think about it. But we're told to be somebody special. Everybody's supposed to be somebody special and to achieve a lot and to be and act a certain way. You know, and our parents kind of implanted these messages or the culture does and it's impossible not to fall short and it's impossible not to feel like we're constantly jumping through some sort of a hoop to be okay or to belong. Rita Rudner some of you might have heard her, she says, I had only two friends growing up and they were both imaginary and they would both only play with each other. (laughs) That's really not belonging. (laughs) So, I started out by saying spiritual reparenting, that we all have this need to be seen, to really be seen and to be loved for who we are. And because some of us were messy or some of us were overactive or some of us were shy or some of us were whatever, a little different than what our parents and their insecurity needed us to be, there's an implant of not good enough, not okay. Probably one of the most moving stories, some of you might know this, Um, it's in one of uh, Christina Feldman and Jack Kornfield's book, describes a little boy who with his family goes to a restaurant and he, the the waitress comes and says, well, what do you all want? And he says, well, and everybody gives their order and he says, I'll have hot dog and french fries and a Coke. And his dad goes, oh, no, he won't. He's having meatloaf and mashed potatoes and milk. At which point the waitress looked back at the little boy and said, and what do you want on that hot dog? You know. Then the waitress went away and the boy looked up at his parents and said, you know, she thinks I'm real. That one uh, particularly gets me sad because there's people very close to me that that was exactly their language when they started realizing why they couldn't be kind to themselves, that in some way they had parents that didn't quite fully register, this is a real being. So much was their need to have their child be somebody for them. So between all these standards, the sense of deficiency is pretty pervasive. I mean, that is what shame is. It's some fundamental sense of not being enough. And I think we spend a lot of our time and work and love in some way trying to cover up for that, in some way trying to make up for that. This is Jules Pfeiffer. He says, I inherited my father's looks, posture, humor, manner of speech, and my mother's contempt for my father. (laughs) Pretty sad. (laughs) 
There's a wonderful Zen master who said that enlightenment is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And I think that's really wonderful, even though in the, all the old texts they always say, without something about not something, you know, there's a lot of negatives. But you got the idea that we are very wrapped around being perfect in some way, at least. We have these standards. And to begin to relax about that, some people were asking me recently what I most noticed has changed over the years of practicing was a sense of being kinder to myself and just more okay about how incredibly flawed I am and life and the feeling of life not working out. Just being more agreeable about that. And part of concentration is this practice of coming back to the moment and making friends with this moment, no matter how it is. Not trying to have to control it and have it be different. So with that, I'd like to invite you again just to allow yourself to check in. Letting this life be as it is, pleasant or unpleasant, not having a standard. As soon as we have a standard, we can't belong to this moment. See how much intimacy is possible just with this moment, this kind of willingness to be friendly towards how this breath and these sensations and this mood, how this moment is presenting. Sounds included. Yeah, all of it. And just take a few deep breaths. Hmm. It's a strange way to put it that uh, training in mindfulness is really learning to belong to a moment. It's also learning to make room for how these moments are different than the way we think they should be. So we get to know ourselves. We get to know all our habits on how we think things should be. If we look closely, we can find that this fear of making mistakes, this trying to control how the moments are, stops us from living fully. It stops us from trying things, from being creative, spontaneous because we have this notion of who we're supposed to be and how things are supposed to be. I'm a mom and uh, my son's about to turn 13 and I've been, uh, you can open your eyes if you'd like to, or keep them closed. Um, And one of the issues that he went through over the last several years, he was switching schools and so on, was his fear of not doing well in certain areas. And I noticed that he um, ruled out trying out stuff that he suspected he wouldn't be good at. So we started developing these, I have these files of different things, and one of my files is on uh, some of the ways that people have made mistakes that kind of get you relaxed about making mistakes. And this is some responses, and I got this when this was kids his age were responding to science questions. Uh, These were some of them. You can listen to thunder and tell how close you came to getting hit. If you don't hear it, you got hit, so never mind. (laughs) (laughs) 
It is so hot in some places that people there have to live in other places. <laughs> I'm not sure how clouds are formed, but clouds know how to do that, and that's what's important. For asphyxiation, apply artificial respiration until the patient is dead. <laughs> Listen to this. Blood circulates through the body by flowing down one leg and up the other. <laughs> A census taker is a man who goes from house to house, increasing the population. <laughs> a city purifies its water supply by filtering the water and then forcing it through an aviator. <laughs> These are from religion class. The seventh commandment is, thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. <laughs> Two more. The Jews had trouble throughout their history with unsympathetic genitals. <laughs> and a Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. So we started sharing these back and forth. I mean, he'd come up with them, too. His were real live from class. Mine were what I got through the internet. But it actually helped to create, you know, a little less emphasis on what grade and how perfect, and a little more on, you know, we all just are bumbling around. As one Zen master put it, we just make one mistake after another. But our practice is to learn to make these human mistakes more wakefully. Know, to include them in our hearts. And then what happens is we become kinder and we wake up through them. My sense is um, both as a psychologist and in working with meditation students over these years is that the most deep-rooted suffering and the deepest and di- most difficult swirl of emotions we have is around not liking ourselves. And this is not a new or different insight. This is what most people I think that I know are coming to, that, um, that we, if we have this deep core sense of not okay, everything else around it uh, makes it so we can't really connect with life. Carl Jung says, our suffering Our neurosis comes from those parts of our psyche that are not fully felt. And so mindfulness practice is a practice of including what's here, including wakefully. It's uh, not always healthy to fully feel everything again and again if we're feeling it fully in a way that's tight and constricted and judgmental. I mean, how many of us know what it's like to get angry over and over again and how much do we learn from it? So there's a, what in Western psychology is a reframing, that we're adding a larger context. And in meditation, the context of mindfulness, that we experience the same swelling or waves of anger or fear, but in a context where we're paying attention with kindness and presence. So the first noble truth, that suffering is universal that if we're in this body, there's going to be wanting and fearing, and the whole proliferation of grasping and resisting. The second noble truth is that the grasping and resisting keeps it going. If we're caught up in our controlling life, not wanting to be here, trying to make it different, it just perpetuates the suffering. 
The third noble truth, and the fourth is, freedom is possible, and here's how. (laughs) This is very straightforward. Suffering, the cause of suffering, freedom is possible, here's how. And the Buddha described these two wings of what frees us. And just as I was talking about earlier with the spiritual reparenting, the wings are, see clearly what's happening right now. It's the bell. And you go, okay, what's true? And the second wing is this capacity to hold what we see in our hearts, compassion. So let's take them one at a time. And we'll apply them specifically to emotional realms. The first one, mindfulness. When we're struggling or caught in fear, envy, aversion, to be able to know that it's happening. And for these first weeks, if you're new at this, to do the noting. The noting is just simply to, without doing a thesaurus search, you know, of what's the best name, just name what's going on. So you might right now just check inside. Restless, sleepy, bored, interested, excited. Just with a light awareness. 98% of the awareness is feeling what's true. With 2%, just add a light note to that. What's true? The second part of mindfulness, we note what's true, is to feel it fully in the body. Now this is a training over a lifetime. It's nicely, easily said, okay, feel, feel your experience in your body. But especially if we've been traumatized, there's a fear of being overwhelmed and there's a wisdom to being gradual. With that in mind, I'd like to invite you to bring again to mind a difficult situation. It might be the same one you considered earlier. And this is your chance to explore where there's difficulty in your life and everyone has something. It might not be plaguing you right now, but where you're feeling unfinished, unresolved, still challenged. And go into it as much as you feel comfortable right now in your reflection by bringing to mind the circumstances. They might be an interpersonal situation where you feel stuck, like you can't express yourself, or reactive, or something where you feel addictive. And freeze at the frame that's most challenging for you as you review the story, so that you see what's happening. And if there's words involved, let the words be there. And then feel into the body, under the story of what's going on, He said this, she said that, I shouldn't have. Just what the feeling is like in your body about this. What does it feel like in your body? What happens when you just intend to feel the difficulty as sensations in your body? As we did last week, saying yes by agreeing to feel it. For some, you might find that the story resumes itself, in which case just to note that, thinking, story, and then come back to feel what's the energy like in your body? What's asking for attention about this in your body? What's asking to be accepted, felt, 
for some, if there's no strong experience that you're relating to, just to notice what's true in your body this moment. Okay, and opening your eyes, take a few breaths, and um, if you're willing, I'd love to hear what you noticed when you intended to drop under a story and feel feelings in your body. Anyone, whatever you notice, there's nothing, there can't be anything wrong. Nausea. Nausea, okay. Tension. Tension, where? Hands and arms. Hands and arms, tension, shoulders, okay, thank you. Others. You can just say things out, just words. Separation. Separation? Okay, separation. Separation from the feelings or from... If I was watching you. Okay, so one step removed, watching. Thank you. Sad. Sad. Okay, so there was sensations and an emotional flavor of sad with that. Yeah. What else? Anxiety. Anxiety. Let me ask you, how many of you felt that um, you couldn't really connect with the feelings in your body? It was more of separation and observing. Can I see hands on that? Okay. How many felt like you could connect with it and it felt um, really uncomfortable? Hands for that. How many felt like you could connect with it and it was just, you could just be with it and it was viable? Now, there's, there's not like A, a plus, B plus, you know, it's, this is not good-bad. <laughs> um, but just to, just to say a few comments, we all experience all of that at different times. There are times that we, there's a lot going on, and as Carl Jung said, there's suffering because we're not feeling fully what's there, but we, for whatever reason, can't connect with it. That happens to everybody at some times. It's called dissociation in some form to different degrees. Sometimes it's because there's real trauma and it's kind of our body-mind intelligence to not drop us into something we don't have a container for yet. Okay? Other times it's a habit. It's a habit of being so much in thought process that we just don't know the pathway back into our bodies. Okay? There's a lot of different reasons. General, just as a guideline in doing Vipassana, all we do is inquire. Just okay, what's happening, paying attention to the body, and if there's a sense of disconnection, then that's the next thing to notice. We then go, oh, okay, one step removed, bearing witness, watching, observing, but not feeling. And then if there's an emotion that comes up around that, sometimes there's frustration, like the sense of I should be feeling something, then include the frustration as the next emotion that you feel. Do you understand? You just start right where you are. So one side is this dissociation, kind of pushing away one step removed from experience in the body. Then there's another experience of being enmeshed, getting lost inside the wave. And you might imagine it that way, that we're this ocean with waves of experience, and that either 
we're pushing away waves that we don't like are completely identified and lost in other waves and forgetting that we're the ocean. The ultimate awakening and mindfulness is to neither push away experience or be lost inside of it, but rather define that, that one seed, as it said, where we feel fully in a very engaged way what's happening but we also sense the wholeness, the belonging to the whole, so we're not lost, we're not overwhelmed. Questions so far? Anybody? So as you are sitting um, and concentrating on your breath, do you allow the emotion or do you attempt to go back to the breath? Good question. Okay. So in the first week, the emphasis was come back to the breath, come back to the breath, because we're trying to train a bit of this returning home, kind of, so that there's a little more quietness in the mind. But the goal of meditation is not to quiet the mind and be rid of thoughts, and the goal of meditation is to include what's asking for attention. So we be with the breath, But then if a strong wave of emotion arises that's calling attention, we let go of the focus primarily on the breath and open to include that. Just as we did in this little exercise, and I did that on purpose so you'd get a taste of it, if there's strong emotions and thoughts going on, to recognize the story, okay, an emotional story, and then drop into where it lives in the body as best as is possible. You'll find when you try to drop into the body that one of two things broadly happen. Either you feel separated, like you're observing things and not really connected, or sometimes lost in it and overwhelmed. Ideally, we're gradually moving towards dropping in and feeling it, but not being lost and not being overwhelmed. That's the training. So we'll do a meditation now just to explore that, but I want to keep opening to questions. Um, there's an article in The Awakening Mind, which is the IMCW newsletter, that's on car rage on the Beltway. So read that article, because <laughs> it's just on that. Yes, the idea is very much we're not training so we can um, awaken and liberate our hearts and minds in a sitting posture under the Bodhi tree. Do you know what I mean? This is um, an awareness training, and it doesn't matter what religion you are, what anything you are, it's a training of awareness to become more real and more awake and more whole in any situation. Okay? We use kind of the stable circumstances of formal sitting practice as training grounds, but if it doesn't generalize, then it needs more attention. Okay? Yeah, please. So if you allow the emotion You'll find that all emotions are a mix of bodily sensations and thoughts, right? Okay, so that that they're both included. Now, if we only stay in the storyline, there's no becoming whole, including the energy of the experience in in the fullness of our being. If we are only lost in the bodily sensations and don't 
also become aware of the beliefs, the limiting ideas about self, etc., then we're missing out on that piece. So the reason that the Buddha trained in the different foundations of mindfulness is to become aware of what's happening with bodily sensations, the movements of the heart, the thought process. So today we're just focusing on emotions, that mix of, of thinking and feeling in the body. By and large, for most of us, we're so lost in the story that I would encourage you for training purposes to practice noting story, story, thinking, thinking, and coming into the body and seeing what's happening. For 80% of you probably here, that's going to be the most useful training right now. For some of you that feel like you're totally lost in a swirl of bodily sensations, for you to be able to ask the question, what am I believing? will include that layer of experience. Whatever is unseen needs to be included. Whatever we're not aware of will continue to keep us a prisoner. Does that make sense to you all? So we're learning to pay attention to the different layers with mindfulness and compassion. Okay. Um, So I was just saying that for most of you, and you'll just tune in and listen to your own needs, that probably will be a valuable edge for training. To just keep noticing, thinking, thinking, our story, and feel the experience of sensations in your body. If you feel that you're one of those people that's absolutely lost in sensations, um, accentuate the noting and notice what you're believing. Okay, for now? And we're we're about to do a sitting meditation to explore this. But go ahead. Not analytically, no. In fact, that, that would be a trap. More, um, if you feel there's a strong drama going on, to notice it, to name, you know, okay, thinking, thinking, story, story, and feel how it lives in your body without analyzing. Just drop in and sense your... You might even touch where there's a strong feeling and strong sensation. Just see if you can live in your body for that, for that period of time. Well, let's try out a little bit, and um, before you come sitting, I'd like to invite you to take about a minute to do your own mindful stretching, just whatever helps, standing up, stretching your legs, moving around, but just in a quiet way, with embodied awareness, move. to sit and establishing yourself in the sitting posture. Now for those of you that haven't heard instructions about sitting, the simplest guidelines are to sit upright so you're tall. The spine and back is tall. Chin is slightly tucked. as You can imagine a straight line from the base of the spine to the top of the head. Ideally the knees are down. If you find your knees are high up, it might mean that you need more height in terms of your sitting cushion because when your knees are down, the lower back can tuck in more naturally, which is a way of sitting that's aligned and balanced. So we sit in this way, feeling tall, feeling balanced, and then around that tallness, 
let the muscles relax. So whatever can relax, relaxes. You might feel a melting sensation through the shoulders where a lot is typically held, a dissolving from ice to water, kind of a letting go. Whoosh, let go a bit. These bodies recontract again and again. So throughout sitting and moving through the day, it's a radical thing just to intentionally let go. Relax through the shoulders, let the hands be soft. Feel an openness in the chest. And then soften the belly, loosening there so that there's room for a full breath. Much of our armoring against emotional life is in the belly. So see what happens when you intentionally just loosen and soften and receive this breath of life fully into your body. That's it, breathing fully. Discovering as you soften and pay attention the quality of aliveness. Might be pleasant, might be unpleasant. But let yourself arrive. Know that you're here. Gently letting your weight down. We tend to hold our weight up. It's part of controlling life. Just let it down. Feeling places you contact your blanket and cushion, chair, the floor, pressure and temperature, so that you're breathing into a whole body awareness. With the in-breath opening to receive, feeling that exquisite presence on a cellular level. And with the out-breath, letting go, following the breath out, dissolving outward some. Receiving and letting go. There's a tremendous quality of peace and belonging when we can breathe in and really receive the breath with a soft belly and open heart. And when we can breathe out and really let go, just let go. Let go into this world that holds us. Letting the breath and this awareness in the whole body be an anchor to come back to again and again. Staying with the breath if there's nothing strong that calls your attention. If some strong experience arises, intensity in the body, unpleasantness, emotions, stories, to note that, just name it. And then without analyzing, open into the body. Feel where it lives. Notice how it changes. (coughs) 
For some, you might find that a way of bringing more attention and tenderness to any place in your body is to touch yourself lightly, which is a valuable way of connecting with experience. Letting the breath be at the center of your attention, not an idea of the breath, not controlling, just receiving, noticing how it is. And then a strong wave of emotion arises, feeling fully in your body, what is this like? If you find yourself in some way resisting or fighting with experience, to explore saying yes, agreeing to what's here, agreeing, belonging to this moment.
Letting the sounding of the gong be a reminder to release thinking for now and open to the life of the body. Mindful of what's true this moment, just noting what is this right now, and then feeling fully in the body what's true. including in mindfulness if you're adding judgment to your experience. If there's tiredness and judgment about that, discomfort and judgment about that, simply noting judging, judging, and then feel into the body what that's like. 
Start exactly where you are, recognizing and befriending this moment's experience. Recognize if the mind is drifting and gently come back home again, discovering the breath. Let yourself be intimate, be real with this moment. It doesn't matter so much pleasant or unpleasant, but rather a simple presence with what is. Please take a few full breaths.
And open your eyes. Good. Okay, and then stretch out your legs if you'd like. Okay. Those that would like to just keep sitting still, that's fine too. These are the words of Rumi. This being, this being human, is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. Meet them all, invite them in, for be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So our practice is one of including, not just including what arises, but trusting in what arises. That what arises is naturally there for our attention and there as part of waking up our hearts and minds, to trust that. Now what happens when we begin to include? What do we notice? For many, one of the first things that becomes clear when there's a real being with is that it all just keeps changing. That as soon as you're with the sleepiness, you realize the judgment, and when you go into the judgment, you feel angst or fear, and when you go into the fear and really relate to it, you feel compassion, and then you on and on and on. This is one of the insights in Buddhist insight meditation, is that when we actually begin to be with what's there, What we've done is dropped into a really amazing, changing, fluid universe. We've dipped back into the river again. It's only frozen and painful when we hold off. That's one of the realizations. Another realization, if we connect directly with what's happening, is we wake up out of this sense that there's a self that's being victimized by things. We begin to see through this idea that it's happening to a self or because of a self. It's interesting to start looking at how much we go around in this movie that ascribes all of our experience either to self as victim or self as perpetrator of experience, like we're either controlling the world or victim of the world. That's a big movie. When we start directing, directly relating to the waves of changing experience, we begin to see through that movie. It's an amazing realization. Don't talk about it so much in the Dharma talks about emptiness and no self because it's really quite experiential. And just by paying attention, just by actually relating directly to experience, it's what's realized. I had uh, one student Uh, talked about going through retreat and going through all these ups and downs, you know, feeling this joy and freedom and then feeling despair and grief and so on. At the end of the week, he said, I finally discovered what joy is. He said, joy is getting real. Just that. It's not that it's this experience or that experience. It's genuine presence with whatever. This is a few lines. This is one of my favorite Uh, Indian poets, Ghalib. For the raindrop, joy is in entering the river. Travel far enough into sorrow, tears turn into sighing, when, 
after heavy rain, the storm clouds disperse, is it not that they've wept themselves clear to the end? So we practice to live more fully and we find our conditioning to not live fully. We find our conditioning to judge, to pull back, to go numb, to forget, to fight. That's, uh, that's actually some of the news that comes up when we start trying to pay attention. We see all the ways we don't pay attention. And that's fine. Again, it's to be friendly to that. The biggest thing I've discovered in my practice in terms of capacity to be with is that if my heart is hard and judgmental, there's no way in the world I can open to what's going on inside me. And to the extent that I begin to soften, you know, really sense that this is yet another guest, this is another visitor or energy of this life that um, is here to be included, the more room there is. Now this is the second wing. You remember I mentioned the first wing is to see what's going on, see what's true, name it, feel it, recognize it. The second wing is compassion. It's that quality of deep kindness that we encounter our experience with, with compassion. It's part of who we are. I mean, it's our nature to be kind and compassionate deep down. And our conditioning is to get afraid, to tighten up, and to reject things. So part of the training is to cultivate compassion. Now, for a moment, if you will, stretch the arms up, interlace the fingers, invert the palms, tuck the chin, and begin a rapid in-out breath through the nose. Continue to do the breath of fire, that's what this is called, but bring the palms together. Inhale deeply. And as you exhale, bring the arms down the center line of the body. Relax the breath and just meditate for a moment at the heart center. Reflecting on kindness, on the quality of being friendly towards your inner life, your intention towards that, your sense of when you are, when you're not. gently bringing your hands down. Thich Nhat Hanh describes the most profound presence is communicated, whether it's words or energy. He says, darling, I see your suffering. I care about this suffering. This is kind of one of his almost expressive mantras. And we begin by cultivating that care, by offering that to ourselves. Part of healing is to see where the suffering is, because if we can see it, our natural response will be to be kind. We can forgive anything within ourselves, within other people, if there's a recognition of where the suffering is. This is a Longfellow writes, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each man or woman's life a sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. When we can see it, 
we can forgive. The first zone of forgiveness is towards ourselves. In one of the early retreats I went to, Sylvia Borstein was teaching it, and she said, well, her forgiveness meditation is quite simple. She sits, she says, and I just forgive whatever comes up. It doesn't matter what it is. A thought comes up, I forgive this thought. An ache in my back, I forgive this ache. The Dharma teacher's talking too long, I forgive them for talking too long. The person's sneezing too much, I forgive the sneezing. You know, she just, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And what she described was more this mood that started getting created in her of just dropping her resistances to life because she described herself as being really aversive. And I tried that. I think I told you last week about the yes meditation, just saying yes to things. Well, this was a beautiful complement to that when I felt in myself something really difficult to accept. Just say, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. The experience of not forgiving parts of ourselves is anguish. We can't genuinely feel intimate with anybody in the world if we're pushing away a part of ourselves. So a lot of the practice of Buddhist meditation is a letting go of what we're holding against ourselves. Since we've all, you know, built up a lot of grievances usually or complaints. One of uh, the Indian Buddhist teachers, she's no longer alive, Deepama, would sit with a group of students in like a gym, thousands of people, because they all gather in big numbers in India. And she'd walk around, she'd teach meditation practice, and when she'd see somebody that looked like they were having a hard time, she'd go up to them and just put her hand on their shoulder and gently whisper to them, it's okay, it's okay. And after I heard about that, and I heard about this early on in my practice, whenever I hit a real wall, I would just kind of visualize and sense this gentle hand and this voice whispering in my ear, it's okay. We each need some sort of way, kindly, of sending the message to our own vulnerable self that it's okay. Forgiven, forgiven, yes, this too, it's okay. We also need a way sometimes just to hold ourselves physically. You know, in this culture, and I might have mentioned this to some of you, we are so disinclined to be tender with ourselves. We, we value being tender with other people. We, th- we really appreciate the, the feeling as a parent of being tender with our child, but there is so little of that capacity in a genuine way to be able to touch ourselves and really feel a tenderness to the life that's inside. Try this for a moment. Just close your eyes and touch your heart. It can be with two hands, with one hand. You might want to touch your cheek. Some people find touching their cheek lightly. And see if in your touch you can communicate tenderness. And move around a little as you touch. In other words, change the pressure, move a little. And sense just as you would offering the deepest care to a beloved child or other in your life that you just are sending this message, I care about this life. It's not the message, I'm great, I'm better than anybody. It's just simply, I care about this life. 
we can't truly love one another until we've learned to love the most difficult parts of ourselves. So it's a beautiful meditation, and we'll end with it tonight, the Mattar loving-kindness meditation. Just sit up for a second. We'll just do this very short. We begin with just a, a brief forgiveness sweep. Just sense today, this moment, this class, if there's anything you're judging about yourself. It might be just rejecting a pain in your body, or it might be a judgment about not doing it right, or judgment about sleepiness. Or maybe there's no judgment, which is fine, good, it's free. If there is some, to just recognize, just to note that, okay, judging, and feel the experience of judging, the dukkha or suffering of judging, of this life tendency to push away. And again, using your hand and using whatever words come to mind, just send the message forgiven. I care. I care about this life. Just sending the message to the vulnerable place in your own body or heart or mind. Forgiven. I care. The traditional words that we send, and you can adjust them for yourself. May I be filled with loving-kindness, held in loving-kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. May I touch peace, great and natural peace. May this heart awaken and be free. And in the same way that we extend this tenderness and care to our own being, you can let whoever comes to mind for the next few moments of silence be held with this care, extending your blessing to your child or spouse or friend or someone you don't know so well. Feeling your belonging, extending your care. For the last few moments of this meditation, just relaxing the hands down and arriving fresh with the breath and just simply reestablishing a presence belonging to this moment, to this breath, to whatever's true in your body, your heart, your mind the two wings of the bird, seeing clearly what's true and relating with friendliness, with kindness.
Okay, thank you. Hmm. We're just going to be going over just a couple of minutes tonight. Um, this, what we did tonight could have been what we spent the next decade on, so <laughs> I tried to compress it a little bit. <laughs> Um, but I want to first just acknowledge and honor you for, I think it takes a certain courage to touch in, especially in a, with a different set of practices and with people you don't all know, to touch into what's raw, and I know some of you did. Um, so I just want to acknowledge and appreciate your participation, wherever you went in this. To encourage you for this week, last week, breath and sensations, this week continue coming back to the breath. Put aside a little time each day at least. For those of you that weren't here last week, the recommendation is just a few minutes minimally, and if you'd like to try sitting longer, to go ahead. But don't set it up so that you feel like you're failing. But give yourself a little time to connect with yourself. So it's a gift to the soul to do that. Um, and to make it space that's sacred, that, you don't, that people know, so you really have that privacy to just be with what is. Let the breath be your pathway back. Come back again and again, anchoring in the body and breath. And then if strong emotions, sensations come up, like the guest house, you know, just try to include what you can. If it feels like too much, make a cup of tea, go for a walk, leave it. But if you want to try encountering and being with experience more fully, then start the practice of noticing stories and dropping into the body and see what happens. Any questions before we end today? Yeah. Um, can you speak a little about when the breath is actually the place that it's difficult to be? Yeah. Where particularly? Um, what are you noticing? Here, and then sometimes it goes up here. Mostly here. So they don't want to be there. Right. Then that's what your meditation is. Now, I'll tell you, if it feels like too much, what you can do. To the extent, and this is for all of you, sometimes it's too much, and, it, and you start feeling that sense of getting exhausted and it's a losing prospect. And then, like anything in life, you know, you're supposed to take a rest, you know. To the extent you want to be with it, then just feel where it is and see if you can sense it as sensations that are floating in awareness. Just try to be aware of the space around it. So you create a softness around the sensations. And as much as possible, just say yes and feel what's there and notice how it changes. Okay? If you hit a point that you feel like you're getting too overwhelmed or whatever, then switch your place of paying attention. Instead of being there, you might just listen to sounds and sense the space that sounds are happening in. And you can do it with your eyes open, too. There's no uh, like one right way of where to pay attention, and anything can be a pathway back home. We train with the breath because it connects body-mind most quickly. But for you, when it feels overwhelming, to just listen to sound and remember this world, this ocean, this space that's, that's bigger than where there's the knot, will make more room so when you come back, there's bigger space for it to float in. So just experiment, and let me know how that goes. Um, yeah, anyone else? Is it okay to come back to uh, your meditation with one word that helps you like relax or calm, you know, just kind of saying it over and over again? 
Sure, mantras, like a candle, like the breath, are all ways of bringing us back. The danger to a word is that it can um, end up being mechanical, and while it might stop you from the thinking, it might not cultivate a receptive quality of attention. A mantra can do that. It can almost be like a stamp on things, so that it's more like another veil that you have to see through. So if it's a relax, the word relax, let that be 2% of your awareness, and 98 being the sensations of coming back into the moment. Just keep your eye on that. Okay, it's a good question. I noticed last week, more than any um, introductory course I've ever done, your um, questions in the midst of things and afterwards are good questions and also ample. You know, and that's usually there's this kind of, you know, everybody thinks they're not quite doing it right, but nobody really asks questions or chimes in. So, I just um, I'm really enjoying you all. So thank you. <laughs> and um, just to say that again, we have a little more put out in terms of material. We have our newsletter. Is that? Wait a week on that. Okay. Um, the tapes from this four weeks will be available for those that want to get them at the end. Um, you can either pick them up or they'll be sent to you, and we'll let you know how that's going to work. But we are taping because this is um, a little bit of a different series than the one that's been available the last few years. So, any other? sheets back there. If you were here last week and you didn't do it, go ahead and initial for both weeks. And if your name's not on the list, go ahead and write it in. That's about it. Now, which is the week that we're skipping? We do two weeks and skip? We'll be here next. We're here next week and then we skip, is it Memorial Day? Okay, so, so this is just in case anyone forgets. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, we will not be here that Sunday. You get a Sunday off. <laughs> okay, that's it. All right, have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.